Paul says, I pray that you may be glor- that, that you may have the power. Nope. Well, he does say that, but <laughs> anyway, the the greatest the greatest part of that is now to him who is able to accomplish exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or imagine, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations, forever and ever. Amen. And he's able to accomplish all things we can imagine or think beyond what we can imagine or think. And um, I know my imagination has always been very active, even when I was young. But anyway, I'm thankful for how the Lord's so faithful. Every day he's faithful. And um, my desire is to glorify him with my life. You know, he's told us in, in the book of uh, Ephesians, husbands, love your wives, even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. And um, indicates that if we don't do so, we're really not loving ourselves. So, you know, that's what I, that's kind of my assignment right now, is just to uh, love my wife the way the Lord would love and does love us. And it's a joy, really, every day to, it's it's not a joy does not mean it's always um, enjoyable, if you understand what I'm saying. But it's a joy to be in this position and, and be able to share this time with my wife, whatever time he's given. And I'm so grateful for Marcia. She's a blessing. I've told her many times I'm thankful the Lord gave her to me. And truly he did. If I had time to share, I could share that with you. Well, I don't want to take your time, Pastor Randy. Oh, <laughs> well, maybe I better get their their idea. Their <laughs> anyway, I want you to know I love the Lord. I'm grateful for all He's meant to me, all He's done in my life, and His faithfulness. He is. He never changes. His love never changes, and I'm thankful. Thank you, Pastor Dennis. I appreciate that. And, and the reason I ask him to share without letting him know he's going to share is he was here so many years so faithful to this congregation. And he's here frequently with Marcia. And we're glad you guys come up. We're very glad you do. And it's, we need to know what God's doing in your life because you've been such a part of the life here. We need to know how God's still working in your life. And just to give notice to the rest of you, I'll be asking you, I'll warn you ahead of time. Um, on Sunday nights, I, I asked, does anybody have testimonies that they'd like to share? And um, they all look down at their laps for some reason. I don't know why. Uh, but, but it's good and it's important to be part of worship too. Tell others what God's doing in our lives. You hear me all the time. But we don't always hear from each other. And so one of the things we're going to be doing in this new year, I'll give you a, a mini sermon before we get to, this, to the real one. Worship's important. 
it's very important. And our responsibility is not just to sing a song and that's only part of worship. Worship is the way we lead our lives. And we have a responsibility to each other to, to lift each other up to God, not just to get something out of it ourselves. And here, here's why I say that. Uh, I'll just pick on the two people in the front row. If, if, if they come, and you have to know they sing all the time, and that's why they sit in the front row so you can't hear them is what I hear. But they sing all the time. But if they came and there was a song that they didn't like and, and Neil started grumbling and complaining about it while it was being sung, I know Neil doesn't do that. Neither does... Okay, not, not here. But, but it, it, would, it would keep Jan from worshiping. And we're supposed to worship no matter what. It's what we're supposed to do whether we like the music or not. And music is only a small part of worship. The sermon's part of worship, prayer's part of worship, and the way you live your life is the biggest part of worship. And so we need to encourage each other. And it's the testimony, which is, this is what God's doing in my life that will encourage people greatly. And so you'll be getting asked, don't, if you see my number on your phone, don't ignore it. If you see me coming, don't run, because you'll be asked to give a little short testimony, and every Sunday morning, my hope is, every Sunday morning we'll have a testimony of what God's doing in our life. And it's, it's not going to be just a couple. All of you will have that opportunity to give a testimony. And if I never get to you, just come to me and say, hey, I haven't given my testimony, and you'll be the next Sunday. Okay? Or you can turn in your spouse or your children. It, that, work, that all works too. We'll, we'll get it worked out and, and have a testimony. I need to start. Did I dismiss? The, yeah, the kids are gone because, yeah. Um, I need to start with last, month, last week I showed you a picture and I called it, um, and yeah, I showed you that. And I gave you the wrong name. It's a Venezuelan moth. And that one is really cut out of um, felt. The next picture shows you what a real Venezuelan moth look. No, not that one. <laughs> is it not in there? <laughs> that one. That's a real Venezuelan moth. And the reason I'm showing you this is because um, I have a fact checker in my family. And she said... That's not real. And so I had to look it up and prove to her that it really was. But I had to show you a real one, too. Uh, and we were talking last week about... Um, we, well, and this week we're talking about... Last week we covered Genesis, an overview. This week we're talking about creation. And your question is, how in Genesis 15 through 25 is there any creation at all involved in there? So that's where we're going to get. And so now you can go to the next slide, Greg, because some of us are very creative. And if I created something out of an old palette, it would look exactly like that. Or it'd look like a bonfire, one of the two. And people have created amazing things out of old palettes, just not me. And, and there's, 
you know, we wonder if we're actually creative. And, and I want to talk today, and I want you to hear what I'm trying to say today, and I want it to apply to your hearts. I don't just like to stand up here and talk, because you probably don't know this about me, but I used to not like to speak in front of a crowd, and now you wonder if I'll ever stop. But in, in college, to graduate with my religion degree, I had to have three speech classes. And I dropped out of speech three times, but it came down to I finally had to finish it, or I wouldn't get my degree. And now I'm up here all the time. But I don't want to just make it sound good. And I don't want, and I don't do it just to hear somebody say that was a good sermon. My goal is that it, that it be the Word of God. And in Ephesians, um, it talks about how some are called to be prophets, apostles, evangelists, preachers, and teachers. And my goal is that my sermon cover all of those. A prophet is somebody that proclaims the word of God. An apostle is somebody that tells you how to do the word of God. An evangelist is somebody that helps win people to the Lord. A preacher kind of falls under a, a, a prophet as well, and a teacher is somebody that sits down and we discuss it. And I hope my sermon covers all of those. And you know, you guys fit into those too. That's why I have you pray for somebody that you're going to lead to the Lord. Because it's not just the evangelists that are supposed to do it. It's all of us that are supposed to evangelize. And evangelism is just living your life in a way that people go, wow, there is something about you. What is it? And then you can say, it's Jesus Christ. And explain why he has done, or how he's done what he's done. And they may accept it, and they may not. But that's what we get to do. And so, we're going to talk about God's creation, and we're actually going to do it out of Genesis. We'll start with Genesis 12, which was from last week, but we'll do it anyway. Where God said, I will make you into a great nation. And you will be blessed, and I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Talking to Abraham. And and that part, I will make, that's creation. I will make. And I don't know if you've discussed that with anybody, because you know it was a whole week ago. I don't know if you've discussed that with anybody, but God created. Not only did He create the whole world and everything on it, He created nations out of Abraham. He's like to be known as the father of nations. Or the mother of nations. I'm not sure I'd like the responsibility, and I'd probably do like Abraham and Sarah and take, try to take some of the, you know, help God along. That, that's where the maidservant came in. And, and, and God even suggested that, that don't worry about, because Sarah's old, don't worry about her being pregnant. We'll just use this son. And God said, no, that's not the one we're going to use. 
But he said, I will create. And then you get to the little part that says, and all people on earth will be blessed through you. All people will be blessed through you. And through Genesis, in Genesis 17, in Genesis 18, and in Genesis 22, God's talking about making Abraham a nation. And, and he's talking about how the world will be blessed. In, verse 18, in chapter 18, in verse 10, he said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. And Sarah laughs. In your bulletin, I didn't, yeah, I brought mine up. There's still a blank spot right there when you pull it open. Write these scriptures down. Today I'm just giving you some scriptures. I won't read all of them. They'll all be up there. But write them down. And then go investigate about, uh, about whether I'm right. But don't do it just to see if I'm right. Do it to see what God has to say to you, too. Because there are times we're so busy looking to see if somebody's right, we miss what God's trying to say. And, and if, I'm, if I'm not right, God will point that out. And um, <clears throat> you'll probably point it out, too. And I'm good with that. Just come and talk to me about it. And we'll make things right. So write them down. Write them down, because we're talking about creation. And in Genesis 1-1, God created the world and everything in it. We just jumped back to slide. God created the way for a man to be united with God. Again, after Genesis chapter 3, which we talked about last week when Adam and Eve sinned, and we can debate forever whose fault it was. It's their fault. It's their fault. And we can debate the serpent. And I think it's really interesting. This is just the way my mind works. There's two places in the Bible where animals talked. Genesis chapter 3, and then the donkey talked too. And you kind of wonder if, did animals talk before the fall of Adam and Eve? Well, it does say in the Bible in Revelation that all creation will proclaim, holy is the Lord God Almighty. All creation everything's going to talk. Won't that be cool? Won't that be very cool? But anyway, in Genesis 1, God created the world and everything in it. Genesis 3, Adam and Eve messed up. And then look at Isaiah 53. God created for us salvation. And I'm not reading all of Isaiah 53. But he created for us salvation, and if you read through it, it's the life of Jesus Christ, even to dying on the cross. It said he won't have, he, he just looked kind of normal. Nothing that will make the world be attracted to him, but he will die. And it says that God will place all our iniquities on him. God created salvation. He created that for you and I. He created that so that we can have a relationship with Him. He created a way 
for us to go to him. And then through salvation, he creates a clean heart in me. Psalm 51. Do you know the background of Psalm 51? Can I tell you the background of Psalm 51? This is David, his beloved David, who was going to be, his heir was going to be the Savior of the world. His beloved David, who he had anointed as a young guy, as a shepherd, his David who he had uh, filled with power to defeat Goliath. His, his David, who, if you read, it says that in the spring when king, it's a season for kings to go out and war. He stayed home. It's a hot day. He's standing on the top of the castle and sees a lady taking a bath and goes, ooh, who's that? And invited her over. She got pregnant. He tried to get her husband home from the war so that he could claim the kid and the husband wouldn't. He did come home for the war, so David had him killed. Two years later, He gets talked to about this. And Psalm 51 gets written. When he realized that God knew what he'd done, and he turned back to God and repented of his sins, and he, he wrote this at verse 10, Create in me a pure heart, O Lord, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O Lord. You who are God my Savior and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Verse 14, or verse, yeah, verse 14, deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed. You know that that baby died. You also know that 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 lady became the mother of Solomon. But God renewed a clean heart in David. God renews a clean heart in us. He says it several ways. One way, he said, I'll take out your heart of stone and replace it with a heart of flesh. I've always, you know, wondered about that. But think about this. The longer we live in sin or the longer we try to pretend like we're Christians, but yet yet we haven't repented of something, we try to keep it hidden. The longer we do that, the harder our heart gets. The har- it was this way. When I was in high school, um, my sophomore year in high school, my freshman year I played baseball, my sophomore year I played baseball, and all I ever did, I was the only guy that just sat on the bench all the time. I didn't get to play any positions. I didn't get to bat. I just got to sit there. Hated it. So I went to the coach and said, I quit. And he said, you don't want to quit because if you quit now, 
it'll be easier to quit the next time. And I said, I quit. Anyway, besides, baseball, it's just a fun thing to do, but I was never going to be good enough to make millions of dollars or get past the bench on it. I had other sports I liked to play better. But he was right. The, The first time you do it, it gets easier to do it the second time. Sin does that. The first time you do it, the second time it becomes easier, especially if you have friends encouraging you to do it. And before you know it, it's really easy. And before you know it, your heart has become hardened to whatever God wants to say to you. David went two years without feeling any guilt and without talking to God. I'm good to go. Till he got a talking to. And he turned back. And I don't know about you. I really only know about me, and half the time I'm not even sure about myself. But I don't... There are things in my life that if God hadn't talked to me about, I'd still be hiding it and doing it. And it would have destroyed the calling that God put on my life it would have destroyed what God's doing in my life, and it would have destroyed any witness up to that point that I might have had if God hadn't have renewed my heart. If he hadn't have renewed my heart. The question is, and you can write this down if you want, does your heart need to be renewed? Do you need to allow God to renew your heart? Like David had to do like we've all had to do at one point, and there are times, you know, we think everything's good and, and go along and we find out that it's not that good. We just have blinders on. And the reason I say that is because we can, in, in, in 1 John 5, which is not a scripture I have up there, it talks about, about sin and sin that leads to death. And you've heard me say that not all bad choices are sin, but if they're not corrected, they will lead to sin. And, and even the sin that doesn't lead to death that John's talking about in 1 John 5, it ruins our relationship with God. It builds up a wall. Is your family like mine? Got to ask you this. Are there things you can't talk about? Like if you all get together for Thanksgiving or for Christmas, are there things you can't talk about? Unless you really want to get things hopping, you know. <laughs> so you just don't talk about those because, because you know that, that, that it'll go south in a hurry. Well, we start doing that with God if our heart's not renewed. And, and there are things that we won't talk about and we hope that God doesn't bring up because oh, well, there'll be trouble. There'll be trouble. Sometimes we even stop going to church because... I just feel guilty when I go there. Hey, uh, Pastor Dennis can say this has happened to him before. Because I know it has because I'm a pastor too. Several times I have, um, after a sermon, had somebody come up to me and say, you're preaching right at me. I've had people accuse me of, of tracking them for the week 
and, and writing my sermon about them. And I just flat out say, yep, I did. <laughs> but, but it's because God takes whatever I say, my hope is, my prayer always is, He takes whatever I say and applies it to your heart. And I may not even be talking about whatever God's working on your heart about, but He's working on you because He wants to renew your heart. He wants to take your heart of stone or gravel or sand and make it a heart of flesh. And God created us anew to do His work. Ephesians chapter 2. God created us anew to do His work. I have it. I have read that so many times in my Bible. Ephesians is one of my favorite books that my Bible automatically opens up to Ephesians. And, and I think the reason is because the pages are coming out on Ephesians. But Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. See, He created us new. Remember your old self? Yeah, I already warned you that you're going to be given testimonies. And I'll be talking to you about testimony, you know, and asking you to give a testimony. So let me tell you how to do a testimony. A testimony is just a witness just a witness of something that has happened or something that has been done or something that you've seen. That's what a testimony is. You go to court, what did you see? You just say what you saw. Car wreck, you just say what you saw. Basketball game, football game, whatever. You, became, you just give a testimony of what you saw. So a testimony for Jesus is this. What you were like before you met Jesus, how you met Jesus, and what life is like now. It's that easy. Uh, a friend of ours from Salem, who's no longer alive, got saved at the age of 42. We were on a mission trip to Mexico. He was a, he was a plumber. He was 75 years old. He and his wife were on this mission trip. And somebody goes to him, you don't say very much. And, and this was his testimony. When I met Jesus, I lost 45% or 75% of my vocabulary. And his wife said, yes, he did. That was his whole testimony. And people went, wow. God changed him. That's all your testimony is. None of us can be that dramatic at times, but God created us anew in Christ Jesus to do the good works that He has planned in advance for us to do. He created us anew to do the good works that He has planned in advance for us to do. Do you know what those good works are? Living for Jesus, that's the good works. If we're supposed to store up for ourselves treasures in heaven where thieves and, and rust and moths can't destroy, what's the only thing that goes to heaven? 
No matter what the movie says, not all dogs go to heaven. What's the only thing that goes to heaven? People. What treasures should you be storing up for yourselves in heaven? People. It will be great to get back up, to get up there and have a reunion. Don't you think? And there will be people there that are there because of something you said or did and you didn't even realize it. There'll be other people there that you'll see them and go, you made it? And they'll look at you and go, you made it? And it's purely God renewing us. We can't all be Billy Graham. We can't all be Luis Palau. We can't all be Randy Johnson, but we can be you. You can be you. And there are people that you will touch that I could never get close to. And there will be people that you will influence for Christ that not even your spouse could influence for Christ. And God created you specifically for that. A friend of ours, Bob Russell, he's in Yakima now as pastor, uh, was in, in Redmond, Washington as pastor, and their daughter was in the seventh grade, and she had a friend that wore goth. You know, the white, the black clothes, the white makeup, the dog collars, the black eyeliner, black hair, never smiled. That was her. But she went to church every week, and she was part of a youth group. And Bob's wife, Amy, said to her, Why? You know God so well. Why are you dressed like that? And why do you act that way? Here's what she said. Those people need Jesus. This is a seventh grader, by the way. Those people need Jesus, and they're not going to listen to me unless they accept me. And so that's why I'm like this. Cool, huh? That was also a long time ago. She would now be in her 30s. I doubt if she's still dressed goth. But she was doing that because God created her in Christ Jesus anew to do these good works. Sometimes the good works are just smiling at somebody. I read, a, I read a story about a guy that when he's walking down the road, he'd say hi to everybody he came in contact with. And when he was driving down the road, he waved at everybody. It's just like being in John Day. Have you noticed? Everybody waves. People wave at me that don't even know who I am. It's just, hey, how you doing? I kind of like that. I wave back. Lynn's going, do you know them? I'm going, no. Hey. <laughs> you know? And... and and he was asked why he did that, and he said, I read an article of a person that, that was going to commit suicide. They said they didn't, the day they planned to commit suicide, they didn't commit suicide because somebody said, waved to him and said, hi. He said, so hopefully I'm keeping somebody from committing suicide. Maybe he was, maybe he wasn't, but it was, a, it, it was that easy. That easy the good work that God has planned for us. This church does a lot of good works. And we as individuals need to do a lot of good works. 
And our good works is purely us living openly in love and committed wholeheartedly to God so that the world will see God and come to know Him personally. And sometimes the good works that we do don't look like good works. And people say, how could you do that? Well, that's what I had to do. There are times, I'll confess in front of you, that people come to church, to this church, and, and want money and, and want things, and I just flat out say, I'm sorry, we can't do that for you. Let me tell you why I say that. It's not because we don't have the money. It's because that you know, wasn't what they needed. What they needed was to hear about Jesus. And what they, what they need is for somebody to step in their life and help stop whatever's going on. How do I get to decide? Well, when I'm the fourth church in town that they've come to, that I've kind of decided that, We might need to stop that. But there are other times people have come to the church, to this one and other ones I've been at, and I have been more than willing to go above and beyond what they've asked because they really needed it. And the only way I know is because God works on me and tells me, yeah, you need to really help this one. And the way that the way that lives get changed is the way that we live in front of them. Openly, honestly, and in love with Jesus Christ. And part of that open, honest is uh, like that moth I showed you at the start that was a fake one. Part of it sometimes is just saying, I messed up. I messed up. I even gave you the wrong name. It was a Venezuelan moth. And, and part of it is to be willing to admit that, man, I, I messed up, but praise God, he can help me. And part of it is to be very consistent. We, last Sunday night in Ephesians 5, um, yeah, well, 6, that's 5 and 6, it says, fathers don't exasperate your children. I put in their mothers, too, because I don't know if your mother's like mine, but she can be exasperating. <clears throat> My mom turned 80, by the way, last Monday, um, which puts her in the older category. But she doesn't want to admit it. Sorry, I know you're... T- by the way, Garnet's turning 80 this Monday, right? No. You already did? Yeah, 19th. The 19th. There we go. Because you have a daughter that just won't keep any secrets. Because <laughs> your daughter lives openly in front of the world so that you can't get away with anything. Let me tell you what she said about you when you were sick. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> but, but we can't exasperate people. We just have to love. We just have to love. And we have to love Jesus so much that we can love people. And that's how God does good works through us. That's how God does good works 
and uses us for good works because our job is to share love. I don't have to tell you when you have messed up because, be honest, you already know, right? You already know. Otherwise, you wouldn't have guilt. I have to tell you how to find Jesus so that that guilt can be gone. Romans 12, 1 through 3 says, Therefore, when we get to the series on worship, Romans 12 is going to be a big part of it. So get to know this, please. Romans 12, verses 1 through 3 says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good and pleasing and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you might, but rather think of yourselves with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Did you read that? Did you hear that? In verse 3, sober judgment. We're supposed to judge ourselves and make sure that we're behaving ourselves so that we can live in such a way that the world can see Jesus so that His love and mercy and grace flows out through us. I just read a book called Boundaries in Marriage. I read it a, a, a month or so ago. And it says, set boundaries on yourself. Okay? <clears throat> I, my, major, my major ancestry is German, who my dad says are really bullheaded and hot-headed too. And <laughs> you don't have to agree. <laughs> um, and... We have to set boundaries on ourselves. So I can fly off the handle pretty easily, if, and at times I wonder why I'm so upset about something. And I'm getting better at it than I used to be. But we set boundaries on ourselves. Just because my ancestries are hot-headed and blow up easily doesn't mean I have to do that. A, a pastor in Jefferson, Oregon said he had a neighbor lady that they shared the same driveway. And he'd come home and he could hear her yelling at her kids. And, and finally she came to him and said, how do I stop yelling at my kids? She was hoping that he would pray and she'd be healed. And he said, well, just take a three-by-five card, and every time you yell at your kids, put a little tick mark on it. And in a week, bring it back, and we'll see how many times you yell at your kids. So in a week she brought it back, and she had two of them, Completely covered on both sides. And he said, well, next, next week, let's just try to, why don't you just try to yell only half as much? And so in a week, she came back and only had one on both sides. And they got it down to, she yelled, brought the card at the end of the week, and she'd only yelled once at her kids. And he goes, oh, once is pretty good, and we all should be able to yell at our kids at least once a week. But... It's called putting boundaries on ourselves. And sometimes we ask God to do something in our lives, but we don't do our part. And our part is to put boundaries on ourselves. Like we ask God to take a desire away from us, but we still go to where that desire is activated. Or we ask, we ask God to, to make us nicer, but we still aren't nice because 
we're waiting for God. We ask God to give us patience. But we don't do anything our part of it. Philippians chapter 2, verse 13 says that God, the Holy Spirit works in us to desire to do God's will and gives us the strength to do God's will. Do you know what that means? You have to do God's will. He gives you the desire. And how many of us have said, I really should, but we never do? Whether it's lose weight or exercise more or go to bed earlier or read our Bible more. I really should, and we have that desire, but we never do. How many of us say, I really should pray more, but we never do because we don't do our part? And so we have to do our part. I want you to know that. We have to do our part. It's God working in us to desire it, to do it, and the strength to do it, and He creates these good works for us to do, but if we never do them, we don't do them. And we stay the same. And so God created the world. He created salvation. He created us. And He created us to be the light of the earth. John, look at John. Chapter 5. I'm sorry, back up. John chapter 8, verse 12. Then Jesus spoke again to the people. He said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of the earth. Okay, remember that. Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. Then keep your finger there and turn to Matthew Five, verse 13. Matthew 5 is just to the left, about three chapters. Matthew 5, 13 says this. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by God, or by man. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way that your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds, which God planned in advance for you to do, and praise your Father in heaven. So in John, Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. In Matthew, he said, you're the light of the world. What does that say? We're supposed to be like Jesus and be the light of the world. Live in such a way that people see God, do such good deeds that they praise God. That's what we're supposed to do. So my questions are, have you seen the light of the world? Have you seen Jesus? Now think back to when you got saved. Who showed Jesus to you? Let me ask you this. If you haven't gotten saved, who is showing Jesus to you? Because it's not just us living in a way 
It's also God calling because Jesus did say no one comes to the Father but by me. Jesus did say nobody comes to God except who he calls. And sometimes he's calling, or almost always he's calling through us. So my next question is, do you know the light of the world that wants to make you the light of the world? Do you know that Jesus? Do you know the light of the world that wants to make you the light of the world? Creating and creation isn't done because we still are in awe of God. Like when I said we get to heaven and, say, and see somebody and say, you made it? And they look at us and go, you made it? It's purely God that saves them. It's purely God that saves us. And he's continually creating anew. Every day he's creating anew in our hearts. And creation was done so that we could see God and enter into a relationship with Him. And the creating of our new hearts, the creating of salvation, the creating of the world and the universe was done so that we can enter into a relationship with Him. And the little dash that He wants more than you do. He wants a relationship with you more than you want one with him. My oldest sister, Sharon, she's five minutes older than my second oldest sister, Karen, Sharon and Karen, um, was living in Nampa, Idaho, and I went down to live with her, and I was going to go to college at NNU. I brought some friends over and that were also going to be freshmen in NU. And they were, these friends were from Pomeroy. I don't know if you know where Pomeroy is, but it's, it's on the edge of the Palouse in Washington, between Walla Walla and Clarkston, if you really want to know where it is. Uh, they were from Pomeroy. I brought them over to see where I was staying because... I got to live off campus. They had to live on campus, and they didn't think that was all that fair. Uh, One of them is named Kelly, Kelly Fulcher. And he fell in love with Sharon instantly. And he was always coming over. Even when I wasn't there, he would show up. And Sharon finally said, Randy, could you tell Kelly to just leave me alone? And I said, being the good little brother, nope. If you don't want him around, you tell him because he comes over whether I'm here or not. They got married. <laughs> they, they, they've been married for forever. 37 years, I think. Yeah, because their oldest just turned 35. So maybe it's been 38 years. And... and The relationship that Kelly wanted with Sharon, I guess you could say, is a relationship that God wants with you. Kelly wanted to have a relationship with Sharon 
more than she wanted to have with him. God wants to have a relationship with you more than you want to have with him, and he's not going to give up just like Kelly didn't give up. He's going to keep after you till you say, okay. And then you say, how come I didn't do this sooner? Do you have that relationship with God? Do you have that relationship where you know he loves you so much that he's not giving up on you? That he loves you so much he'll pursue you to the ends of the earth, including John Day, Oregon. Do you know that? So then my next question is, if you don't have that relationship, why not? All you have to do is ask. And say, okay, I'll accept this. It says in the Bible, all we have to do is believe in our, in our hearts and confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. It also says repent, which is stop doing. We confess our sins and stop doing them. Turn away from our sins to God. And we're saved. And then we say, boy, I wish I would have done this sooner. Because he creates in us a new heart. Let's stand together. I want to give you that opportunity. I'm not just talking to the people that have, this is so all of you. Go ahead and stand. I'll talk while you're standing. I'm not just talking to those of you that have never accepted Jesus. I'm talking to those of you that have followed Jesus for years and years longer than I ever have. And some of you that have followed him not as long as I have because I've been a Christian for 53 years. But I'm talking to you, too, about has it kind of gotten normal? Has it kind of gotten cold? Has it kind of gotten routine? Do you, do you, in Revelation, where Jesus said, I have this against you, you've forgotten your first love? Do you need to be reminded of your first love? So I'm talking to those of you that haven't known Jesus those of you that have known Jesus and went away, and those of you that have known Jesus and never strayed away, but you need to renew your vows. So I'm talking to all of those. Is God working on your heart? Is God having a conversation with you? And wouldn't right now be a good time to carry on that conversation? We're not going to play any music. We're not even going to wait very long. But you won't get off the hook because in my prayer, I'm going to ask that God not let you off the hook and that he keep after you until you do something. Just so you know. But I'm going to ask. I'm going to say, if you want to come and use our altar to have a talk with God, please come and use our altar. I will also say, if you don't want to come up here, it's okay, you can do it where you're at, but I will be asking people to raise their hands too, so let's just take a minute. If you want to come to our altar and let God recreate a new heart in you and recreate that relationship with you, please come up and do that.